there and they're chock full of things that we can we can learn. But God give us Christian homes. Homes where the Bible is loved and taught. Homes where the Master's will is sought. Homes crowned with beauty your love has wrought. God give us Christian homes. God give us Christian homes. And then, as today is Mother's Day, God give us Christian homes. Homes where the mother in caring quest strives to show others your way is best. Homes where the Lord is an honored guest. God give us Christian homes. In lieu of an opening illustration today, I want to set some ground rules. Is that okay? I want to set some ground rules. I've already told y'all this is this is a two-parter, okay? That men, Father's Day is coming. Y'all y'all get your half in June. But today is Mama's Day. So we're going we're going to deal with biblical motherhood today. That being said, there is nothing I am going to say today and I'll point this out in scripture. There's nothing I'm going to say that only applies to the ladies, okay? So men, when I say something like, um, let me look, when I say something like uh, in verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. Does that mean that I'm saying men, your behavior in Christ should not be reverent? No, that's not what I mean at all. What I'm saying is that Paul told Titus to teach different things to men and women in emphasis. Because this may shock you if all you do is watch and read modern media, but y'all, men and women are different. (laughs) They're not the same. (laughs) So, the Bible, even though the same moral... Applications can be made to both. Men and women had to have different things emphasized. So, men, there's nothing that Paul tells the women today that doesn't equally apply to you. It just may not have been emphasized to you today. So, that being said, there's those ground rules. And also, I said it first, I want to say it again. That this, even though this is Mother's Day and the sermon is titled Biblical Motherhood, do you know, ladies, how far ahead of somebody you have, how far ahead in spiritual maturity of another lady you have to be in order to mentor them? One step. If you are one step ahead of somebody, you can mentor another young Christian lady in that one step that you are ahead of them. That this entire sermon is predicated on the belief, the biblically based belief, that ladies, whether or not they are your child or not, if they are a younger, less spiritually mature lady in the church, they need you. That ladies of Stapleton Baptist of all ages, if you are a 12-year-old lady, who is growing with the Lord, the 11-year-old ladies need you. If you're 13, the 12-year-olds need you. If you're 30, the 13-year-olds need you. And if you're 50, the 30-year-old needs you. That mothering is a job that is never done. There's always someone that needs a biblical mother. Okay? So now that that's all said... 
If you would stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2, and we're going to read verse 1, and then jump down to verses 3 through 5. So, all the verses that you're like, hold on, my pastor's skipping verses of the Bible, come back in June. We'll pick them up. Okay? Titus chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be blasphemed. Father, I pray that as we read this, that we would understand that how we treat our spouses and how we lead our children and how we function and mentor in our church is all done for the end that Your name would be honored and not blasphemed. That, Lord, You have designed us to need each other. And particularly today, we focus on how we as a Christian community need biblical mothers. We need ladies to mentor younger less mature ladies in you. That's the way you've designed it, and we believe that you'll bless it, and we ask that you show us in your word how. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Uh, Y'all, you can fight me, but I got the best mama in the world. She right there. And though she is not my mama, she is my daughter's mama, and she's also the best mama in the world. That might not be logical, but it's true. Deal with it. <laughs> um, that You can have two of the best, and, and I'm sure y'all do too. But y'all, motherhood's important. So while we have been working our way through Revelation, we're going to take a break today to talk about what the Bible has to say about biblical motherhood because your pastor believes that Christian parenting and Christian mentoring is important. And Paul believed so too. Which is why in the second chapter of Titus, Paul instructs his, his uh, trainee, his, one of his sons in the faith, Titus, how to instruct women to biblically be mothers and mentors. And I'm going to repeatedly use the word mentor today because at its core, mothering is mentoring. Um, that, that mothers, your job for your biological children and those less mature uh, ladies below you is, is to show them what the Christ life looks like in word and deed, to teach them, to admonish them, as Titus says. So I want us to look at three qualities of biblical motherhood today. And again, fellas, there's going to be plenty in here for you. And hopefully come out of here better equipped to lead those who come behind us. So first, I want us to see that Christian motherhood is a theological endeavor. So Paul says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Let's take a minute and just look at this first verse. And we're going to come back to this in June as well. And we're going to have to do a summary of the first chapter of Titus so that you understand what's going on. Now we're going to move quick, so listen fast. But Paul's reason for sending Titus to Crete was to, according to Titus 1.5, set in order the things that are lacking. That meant that Paul looked at the Christian community 
in Crete and said, there's some things here that are out of order. There's some things here that are not right. And his method for fixing this was to send Titus to appoint elders in every city. Now, what is an elder? That is not just an older person as we're going to talk about in a minute. An elder was an office in the Christian church. You are familiar with elders. What is an elder? I is an elder. Biblically, that is my position. That pastors fulfill the role of elder. Um, So, Paul sends Titus to Crete and says, Titus, you need to install some pastors who are going to teach their churches sound doctrine. That believe it or not, y'all, the Bible can fix some problems. And a pastor who preaches the Bible is invaluable for a healthy church. So Paul says, Titus, I'm sending you to Crete to install some elders. They had to meet several qualifications to be considered. And, for one, of, and one of them was to, Titus 1.9, hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught. In other words, don't look around you and see how everybody else is doing it and then say, hmm, that seems like a good idea. Let's change decades of Christian doctrine and do it this way because someone in an academic journal says that's a better idea than God's Word. Teach doctrine as it has been taught to you that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. That Paul assumed there were going to be other people in Crete who looked at the Bible and said, no, 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 no. That's not the way you need to do this. And the only way the pastor was going to be able to deal with that was going to be with sound doctrine. And there seemed to be many contradictory people from verse 1-9 in Crete. By their insubordination, these seem to be Christians who were claiming to know Jesus, but live in a totally different way, if you look at verse 16. By their insubordination, idle chatter, and deception, they were destroying entire households. Look at verse 10. What what happens when people who claim to be Christians order their lives around something that is not the Word of God, entire households get destroyed. Y'all, have you looked at the state of the world in 2019? Y'all, do you know that this year, More children will be born into homes that do not contain their biological father than homes that do. That is a tragedy. There's a difference between a baby daddy and a father, a huge difference. And there's a difference between a woman who births a child and a mama. And what makes the difference between a father and a baby daddy and a a woman who births a child and a mama, biblically, 
is sound doctrine. Do you order your family? Do you order your life around this? Because to not do so subverts entire households. That's what Paul said. Destroys them. And the elders that Titus was to install had to stand against this by rebuking these rebels sharply. Not just for, not for their embarrassment. The idea was not to embarrass these people, but it was for their own good. They had spent too much of their time learning errant doctrine from people who didn't know God, and it was corrupting the entirety of their lives and worldview. That's verses 13 through 15. So... On to chapter 2, verse 1. What was Titus supposed to do? Over against everything else that was going on outside the church, Paul says, I know all that's happening. I know there are people who are convinced that there are better ways to raise your family other than the biblical model, but as for you, you do this differently. You are to teach and model sound doctrine as opposed to whatever the insubordinates were teaching and modeling. You do it differently even if you're the only one doing it. That his ministry was one of contrast. And those who listen to him are going to stand in stark relief from everybody who does it The non-biblical way. So this should be our first point of application. Christians, Christian dads, Christian mamas, if you raise your family and you lead your family according to this, it's not going to look like people's families who don't. And you shouldn't try and reconcile those two things. They're totally different. It's like trying to reconcile apples and oranges. You can't because an apple is not an orange. They're totally different. He says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That word speak in Greek is the word, this is hard to say, laleo. It is a present active imperative. In Greek, present means it's not just happening right now, but it happens and continues to happen. And it's also an imperative. It's It's a command. Since we're talking specifically to the ladies today, What Paul is saying to Titus is you need to teach your folks to say continually and continue to say things that are good for sound, healthy doctrine. The word sound is actually the word hugiano. It means healthy. That you've got to speak these things with the understanding that, y'all, Christian doctrine is not just one way among many. There are actually practical benefits to raising your family in the Lord. Your husband's life, ladies, will be better. Your children's life will be better. The ladies who look up to you, their lives will be better if you model Jesus to them. In every way, shape, and form. There is no shortage of teachers in the world, but not everything you see in here is profitable. You can find somebody to teach you anything. The task of parenting, the task of mentoring, is a task of teaching, and that job is carried out continually, whether or not you realize you're doing it. 
Everything we say and do models life to our children as well as those around us who look up to us absent any biological relationship. And ladies, you can do things that men in this church can't do. Men, listen to me. I know some of y'all have been around longer than me, but I'm not going to say anything you're going to disagree with. Men, on your best day, you cannot do things that God has designed women to do better than men. Dads, you can be the best dad in the world, and no matter how hard you try, you ain't a mama. It just doesn't work that way. That God has designed us to learn certain lessons from our moms and certain lessons from our dads. And I know that because God's Word tells me that men and women are equal in value but different in role. That this church needs ladies to mentor children and other ladies. The church needs that. As Christians, we learn what that role looks like from the Bible. Ladies, here's what Titus is saying. If you don't know and live your Bible, if you don't know and live sound doctrine, you handicap yourself as a mother. Now, every lady in here, whether you've got children or not, Scripture has called you to mentor those children, your children if you've got them, the children of others if they're here, and any lady below you. So... Do any of you want to be bad at that role? Do any of you just flat not care about... about... (laughs) I didn't think so. You cannot relay sound doctrine to those after you if you don't know it yourself. You can't do it. You model whether or not sound doctrine is important by whether or not you abide by it yourself. If you base your mothering on sound biblical doctrine, your children and those who look up to you will benefit. If you do not base your mothering on sound biblical doctrine, your children and those who look up to you will suffer. That's just a fact of life. That Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, God says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the Deuteronomy 11, 20 and 21 says, And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why? That, the day, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. That ladies, when you mentor a child, whether it's yours or whether it's someone else's, when you mentor a young lady in this church, whether it's your daughter or someone else's, When you model and teach them Scripture, you invest in their life in a way that touches eternity. When you decide not to do that, you still touch their life in a way that affects eternity. Because what we teach those who come after us sticks. So if you're going to teach something, don't you want to teach sound doctrine? 
Don't you want that to be what those who come after you learn from you? And how can you learn that? This. Know it. Be in it. Model it. Speak it. So first, Christian motherhood, Christian uh, womanly mentoring is a theological endeavor. Know your Bible. Use your Bible. Speak your Bible. Ask questions of your Bible. Involve God's Word. Second, Christian motherhood, Christian uh, female mentoring is a personal endeavor. It's not just theological, it's personal. Down in verse 3, the first half of it, Paul says to Titus, he says, Teach the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine. Now this word older is interesting. It's the word presbutus. It's the same root as the word elder in Titus 1 verse 5. Am I saying, oh my goodness, this verse means if a pastor is an elder, Paul just says elder women, boom, women pastors. No. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) There's the difference between elder the title and elder the quality. This is the elder the quality. That there is such a thing as a mature Christian woman and an immature Christian woman. That's not an insult. Okay? Being immature is not an insult. If you're brand new at something, you can't help but be immature at it, can you? You need time to develop. You need time to learn. You need time to grow. In this church, there are ladies who are presbyterian women. They are elder women. They've been walking with the Lord. They've been growing. They've been learning. They are advanced in the faith, even if they're not advanced in age. It's not bound up in age. That a, a, a 30-year-old girl who has walked with Christ for 15 years is the spiritual elder of a 65-year-old who came to Christ yesterday. Even with a 30-year age gap, there's a 15-year age gap in knowing the Lord. So you can be elder and it's not bound up in age. That there are more mature women in the faith. And he says those older, those elder women, they've got things to model to the younger one. And one of them is that they're to be reverent in behavior. Now, y'all, when we hear reverent, what do you usually think of? Quiet. Or sometimes maybe, you know, if, if, if the moment of prayer is particularly powerful. You know, and you're not supposed to make any noise. You're not supposed to move. That you're supposed to be reverent. You're not supposed to be too loud. That this is a reverent voice. No, that's not what reverent means. It's from the Greek word uh, hieroprepes. Now, hiero is the Greek root from which we get temple. Hieroprepes means appropriate for worshipful service. So if you had a reverent angel, if it would be appropriate for an angel to sing and that angel were to remain silent, that angel is behaving irreverently. 
If it is appropriate for a child of God to worship and that child of God refrains from worshiping, even though you might be quiet, you might be controlled, you might be peaceful, you're still being irreverent. What being reverent means is you are acting in a way that is appropriate for the worship that God deserves from you at the time. That an elder, mature Christian woman is to model to younger women what it looks like to have your priorities in order. That you know what, daughter, you know what, younger lady, I may not emotionally feel like worshiping this morning, but that doesn't change the fact that God is worthy of it. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to go and I'm going to worship God, not because I feel good, but because God is good and my priority is Him first. Come with me. Older women, more mature women, you've got to model that for younger ones. Reverent in behavior. Slanderer. This is a fun Greek word. He says, don't teach them not, or, or admonish them that they not be, the older women not be slanderers. Slanderer is the Greek word diabolos. Oh, in Greek, that means devil. So easy. Don't be devils. Right? So I started asking about this. This word is actually used 38 times in the New Testament. 35 times it's translated devil, and three times it's translated slanderer. So I started asking the question, how do they know when to translate this word devil and when to translate it slanderer? What's the difference? Because I couldn't find any clues. And I came to the conclusion, maybe it's a difference between what one is and what one does. That something is a devil, but what does a devil do? A devil slanders. What's the very first thing Satan ever did? He lied about God. The very first thing he ever did was he told Adam and Eve, he said, God's just trying to keep the best stuff from you. He's horrible like that. Slanderer. Now again, men, does that mean that just because Paul is telling Titus, hey, teach the elder women not to be slanderers, does that mean, men, that it's okay for you to slander people? No. But ladies, there is something to be said here. I'm taking my life in my hands right now. Lord Jesus, guard and protect me. Men tend to resort in our moments of fleshliness. Men, any of y'all when you're in school ever get in a fight with somebody? Anybody? Don't raise your hands. We get hot and heated, we bow up. And we show off all the muscles like the ones that I have before you now. And we bow up and we, we, we take solace in the fact that men are naturally physical creatures. It's the way God made us. Ladies, when you got in a fight with somebody at school, did you use these? What did you use? Men, confirm this to me. I know y'all have, I, I have, have got into verbal spats in marriage, have you not? Anybody? Who is more powerful in a verbal confrontation, you or your wife? 
Ladies, I say this, not not as a joke, but to tell you that God has invested great power in your tongue as a woman. You are better at emotional... You are more emotionally intelligent than men are. You are better able to express yourself in general than men are. And that's a double-edged sword. That you can bless your children and husband. Men, confirm this to me. When your wife compliments you, that means more than anybody else on the planet Earth complimenting you, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yes. And when your wife puts you down, it doesn't matter. Who else tries to encourage you? You could walk under a door, couldn't you? Ladies, your mouth is powerful. When you speak to your husband or your children or other folks you're mentoring in the church, your words have power. Which is why Paul instructed Titus to tell them, use their tongues for good and not for evil because God has invested great power and responsibility in them. And you can either build up your children and those who look up to you or you can do like the devil and tear them down. Use it for good. It's a blessing. It is an honor for God to invest that power in you. Mature Christian men and women were to model to the younger women what it looked like to have their tongues under control. And then finally, Paul says, not given to much wine. Not given is the word doulao in Greek. It means slave. Now, the New American Commentary said Paul's inclusion of this item suggests that alcohol might have been an especially troubling problem for Cretan women. And though alcohol might have been the problem for Cretan women, the admonition certainly doesn't need to be confined merely to alcohol. The term dulao means enslaved. The presence of a physical appetite does not automatically render that for which one hungers holy. This can go for men as well as women. That guys, just because, guys, ladies, folks in here, just because your body goes, hmm, that seems like it would be a good thing. That hunger doesn't mean it is a good thing. That mature Christian women are to model for younger Christian women what it looks like to have your body under control. So, your priorities, your tongues, and your bodies. All of these admonitions to older women have to do with controlling how they live their lives in light of the knowledge that their children and other young women will look up to them. Y'all, do you know that a personal sin is never a private sin? It always affects people around you. It's always going to make a difference. Well, that's not any of their business. It's only going to hurt me. False. When a mother deprioritizes a church, irreverence, and deprioritizes personal holiness, her children and other young women are going to notice and make their decisions accordingly. Ladies, if you look at your children and say, go to church, go to church, go to church, take God seriously, read your Bibles, but you never go to church, you don't take God seriously, and you don't read your Bible, your children will not do it. It will not happen. 
When a mother gossips, slanders, or runs over others with her words, her children and other young women will notice that and will speak their own words accordingly. Y'all, I have a two-year-old, and I know already children learn how they talk by listening to you. So ladies, think. The way you speak to your children, the way you speak to younger women, they're going to learn one day that that's how I do this. If you verbally, you might not physically slap your husband in the face, but if you verbally slap him in the face, one day your daughter will do that to her husband. When a mother indulges every physical appetite and explains it away as nobody else's business, her children and other young women will notice and indulge their own appetites accordingly. That whether or not we like it, those who are more immature than us look up to us and model their lives after our own. James 2.14 in the New American Standard says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith, that kind of faith that is all words and no action, can that faith save him? And the answer is no. Can you say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul says in Romans 2.21-24, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you as it's written. Do you know that the way that we model our lives in front of our children can either bring honor or reproach to the name of Jesus because they're going to act like you do? So Christian motherhood is a personal endeavor. And then finally, quickly, Christian motherhood is a church-wide endeavor. That Paul says Titus should teach them to be teachers of good things and then skip ahead. Why? That the Word of God may not be blasphemed. A well-functioning Christian family is the, one of the most powerful witnesses on the planet for the gospel that there is. And do you know what? A dysfunctional Christian family is one of the worst witnesses for the gospel on this planet there is. Why do you think Satan attacks it so hard? Why do you think Satan wants so badly to destroy Christian families? Why do, you want, why do you think that Satan wants so badly to destroy Christian marriages? It's because when the world sees a, a, a wife who loves Jesus, a husband who loves Jesus, and them teaching their kids to love Jesus, that there's a harmony in that family that does not exist in families who don't know the Lord. And it's hard to ignore. So if Satan can't break that up, he's going to have a hard time. So if he can destroy that family and make it dysfunctional, and have a husband who doesn't love his wife, and a wife who's disrespectful to her husband, and kids who are insubordinate to their parents, then the world looks at a Christian family and says, what in the world did they have that I want? But the next things that Paul's about to tell Titus is he says, these are things that the older ladies are going to have to verbally tell the younger women. And the first is that they're to love their husbands and to love their children. 
A mature Christian woman's husband is not a chore to her. She doesn't treat him that way. A mature Christian woman's children are not annoyances or obstacles to reaching her full potential. She doesn't treat them that way. And it might take an older woman to tell her this because what kind of man do you think an immature Christian girl is going to marry? An immature Christian man. That's not an insult. They just hadn't had time to grow. Ladies, did any of you ever have this perfect beatific vision of what your marriage was going to be like right before you got married? And oh my goodness, it's going to be perfect. That we're going to have a little white picket fence and nothing in the house is ever going to smell bad. There's never going to be dirty clothes laying anywhere. He's going to greet me when I leave the house in the morning with a flower on one knee. And we're never going to argue. We're going to sit on the front porch on the sunset, snuggling, watching our children play kickball in the, in the front seat. And then you get married, and six months later, there's a pile of dirty clothes in the bathroom. There's a smell somewhere that you still can't find the source. Uh, you, you argued last night, and you don't know what you, you still don't know what you argued about. And there's this risk that a younger Christian woman might pull her hair out and go, what do I do? And one of her girlfriends that doesn't know Jesus says, that's easy, leave the joker. He's not what you thought he was going to be. Go find somebody who is. This is a starter husband. It's going to take a woman in the church to go to her and say, calm down, sweetie. You've got to grow and so does he. Love him. My kids are driving me nuts. They're kids. They don't pop out indwelt by the Holy Spirit submitted to Jesus. They're immature. They're babies. They got to grow. And older women, you got to tell those younger women, hang tough. To be discreet, chaste, homemakers. These three go together. Discreet literally means self-controlled. Parents, brace yourself if you got kids in here. Chaste. What does that mean? It means chaste. Pure. This has a sexual connotation. Let's just say it. That's what the Bible means. Has a sexual connotation. Then finally, homemakers. It's a combination of the Greek words oikos, home, and ergos, work. Does this mean that a woman can't have a job and she's supposed to stay in the home all the time? No. That's not what it means. What it does mean is that a woman should be more concerned about what goes on in her house figuratively and literally than anything that goes on anywhere else. For example... This is not on your handout, but if you turn to Proverbs 7, I promise I'm moving quickly, y'all. We're not going to start sermon part 2. If you turn to Proverbs verse 7, listen to what, the, what Solomon says about the adulterous woman and what, what characterizes her. Verse 6, For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice, and I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding. By the way, that's most young men. Passing along the street near her corner. Uh Uh-oh. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. 
And if you go back and you look in the Old Testament, there's an account one time of one of the sons of Israel that said she wanted to go out and see the daughters of the land. Now that doesn't mean she was just curious that she wanted to be involved in the social culture. She wanted to be out and uh, partying and having a good time. And meanwhile, the family's back at the house. Ladies, especially if you're married and you have kids. Ladies, it's a danger if you ever find yourself thinking, I've got I to gotta put on a little bit nicer clothes because he's going to be there today and it's not your husband. I've got to make sure I smell good because he might come by the water cooler today and I don't want to be embarrassed in front of him. And it's not your husband. We're going to go out somewhere with the girls tonight and it's going to be fun because there's going to be a lot of good looking guys. That, I ain't going to do nothing. I'm not going to flirt with them. I'm not going to say anything to them. But it's going to be fun because they're going to be there. And that's eye candy. Stop right now. A healthy place, Paul says, tell the older women to tell the younger women. A healthy place to mentally be is to say, Man, I'm going I'm to I'm going to do my hair a little bit different today because I, I bet my husband will like it when he sees it. I'm going to plan this because it will be really fun to go and do with the kids. That they care more, not so much about working in the home, but working on the home. That y'all, men aren't as good at that. Making a home feel like a home. If you let a man design and organize a house, we're just going to plop a sofa in the room and say it's comfy. I can't decorate nothing. That my apartment in college was just... <laughs> That's a technical term. But you know what? I married and my wife moved in and we had drapes. And I walked in, I'm like, this is pretty. And she's like, I'm glad because you need help. <laughs> that ladies, nobody can make a home feel like a home like you can. God gave you that ability. And one of the worst lies that you can hear from somebody on TV or on the radio in some magazine is that that is not an honor. Oh my goodness. Your husband and your kids love it when, uh, I mean, a home is not a home without you. And when your mind is somewhere else, you can only keep your mind somewhere else long enough before your body and your emotions follow. Discreet, chaste, homemakers. Good, obedient to their husbands. Good is a Greek generic. Other translations render it kind. This is attitude. And obedient to their own husbands. Uh, New American Commentary says submissive is probably actually a better translation than obedient. Um, note, ladies, that it says obedient to your own husbands. This does, or submissive to your own husbands. This does not mean men in general. This is not Scripture saying, ladies, you obey men. Uh-uh. No, you don't. It says be submissive to your own husband. 
the submissive mean that you flip your brain off at the door and you quit and your husband is in charge of everything and you are just, you know, window dressing to whatever he decides to do with your family. Absolutely not. What that means, though, is that you recognize all the way back to Genesis that God designed the world with a created order. And the family's got to have a leader, and that is a responsibility and a burden that God put on the man in the household. <laughs> Ladies, how attractive is a weak, submissive man to you? Do you want to be married to that? I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to read one more piece of Scripture, and I'm going to close. I didn't ask Emily for permission to share this, but I'm going to because it demeans me. Early on in our marriage, we did one of the things that every married couple should do, and that's make a budget. Uh, but we were a little late in doing that. And if any of you know my wife, you know she's an accountant. So who would you think would make the budget? The accountant, right? Only she didn't, she didn't want to do that. She, she kind of wanted me to do it. But, she, but, she, but I was failing as a husband and was not doing that. So she took it upon herself to do that. And the fleshly man in me, because I had deferred where I should not have done that, she made the budget and I kind of went, I don't like this. I have X amount of money to eat out this month. I want X plus five. I'm going to do it one more time. And we'd look at the budget at the end of the month, and she'd go, we agreed on this. And I was like, you agreed on it. I did. And it wasn't that confrontational, but it was a sticking point for a little bit. And finally, one day she said, fine. You know what? I give up. You make the budget. You tell us what you want this to look like in our family. And you do it, and whatever you do, the responsibility for this is on you. You do it, and I will follow you. And I went, okay. So I left, and I had that day off that week, and I sat down. And when Emily came in that afternoon, y'all, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, I had our budget down to the dollar worked out. And I said, okay, we've got this app. You put this on your phone. It's linked to our credit cards and debit cards. So when you spend it, it'll automatically mark it off the budget. And then we can have this put aside for saving. This will go in these accounts. And, this, and she sat down and she just kind of looked at it. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I'm mad. I said, what are you mad about? She said, I wanted you to do this the whole time. Why did you finally do it? And I said, because of the way it made me feel when you said you trusted me to lead and you were going to follow me. And we both kind of hugged each other and she said, you know what's crazy is that the Bible said we should be doing this the whole time. Ladies, if you want to know how to inspire your husband to get up and do something, to lead, tell him you trust him and you'll follow him and see what happens. There is nothing more different than you and a secular worldly family than if you do that. Now, you can, you can decide whether or not you're going to. And the Bible will look you in the face and say, how's that working for you? 
that this is a definitively Christian position to take. And ladies, remember, your children and younger women in the church will watch what you decide to do and will imitate you accordingly. If you think the Bible is wrong, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it before you knock it. Say, I've tried everything else. Try this. Give it a month. If you come back to me and say, I tried it, we gave it every effort in our marriage to do it the way God designed it, and nothing got better, I will eat a flip-flop in front of you. I put my faith in inerrancy of Scripture right now. Try it. These lessons have to be taught verbally. Ladies, they need you to do it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You know this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Is that it? No. There's one more line in there. Teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. Ladies, there are some ways that only you can do that. That we need you. That you are valuable beyond measure to this church. But if you're here today and you say, well, maybe I, I haven't been that long. I can't lead my kids to Jesus. I can't lead other women to Jesus. I can't lead my husband to Jesus because I don't know him myself. <coughs> this is an opportunity for you to give your life to Christ. To come and bow your feet before Jesus and say, Jesus, you know what? I've done a lot of things wrong. Men, this is a chance for you to say, I haven't been a good husband to my wife and to my mom. I haven't been a good leader in this church. I've sinned. There's, this is a chance for you to come and bow your knee before Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me and make me your If you've never given your life to Christ, you can come down this aisle and tell me that you need to. You can fill out the guest card on the side of your bulletin. Put it in the offering plate when it comes by. If you're visiting with us, that's all we want from you. Don't, give, don't, don't, don't worry about giving us money if you're visiting with us. That's not why we want you. <coughs> or you can catch me at the back door on the way out. But don't leave here if the Holy Spirit's calling you. You need to come, you come. I'm going to pray. Mark's going to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn. If you need to come, you come. Father, thank you for today. Lord, we thank you and appreciate you for giving us models and ladies to mentor younger ladies in this church, even if they're not their kids. Um, Father, we pray that you continue to bless those ladies. Um, Lord, we pray that you continue to bless your church. And Lord, I pray for the folks here today who don't know you. You've never given their life to you. Lord, you've convicted them today to say, you know what, I want to be that kind of mom. I want to be that kind of dad. And the only way I can do it is by knowing you, Jesus. Because I'm not fit. I'm not fit to do that on my own. I need you. Jesus, call them to yourself and say, and we trust you to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stand as we sing 294. Have thine own way.